Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The White House now weighing a change to mask guidance as states with low vaccination rates fuel an explosion in cases and suffering that could have been avoided. Their workplace was attacked, and all they can do is attack each other. A new twist in the war over the January 6th special committee involving who Speaker Pelosi may pick to join it. Plus, very stable genius. President Trump gives a bonkers interview where he makes the MAGA riot sound like Woodstock. We play you the whole thing, but your brain might go numb. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Pamela Brown in for Jake Tapper today. And we start with our health lead and the nation's top doctors making it clear once again, they are extremely worried about the highly contagious Delta variant spreading throughout the United States among the unvaccinated. But there is a very simple solution, folks. Get your shots. Dr. Anthony Fauci confirmed that real life data proves the current vaccines are highly effective against this variant. But in communities with low vaccination rates, hospital ICUs are filling up. And this week, three states, Florida, Texas and Missouri, accounted for 40 percent of all new cases. But once again, the majority of these infections are in people who have not had their shots. There's also the question about what the spread of the Delta variant means for masks. Sources tell CNN that top Biden health officials are holding early discussions about changing mask guidance for fully vaccinated people. This, as a growing number of cities across the country, reinstitute mask rules. As CNN's Athena Jones reports. America's summer COVID surge shows no sign of abating. New coronavirus infections rising in 48 states. The country now averaging nearly 40,000 new cases a day, up nearly 60% over last week. And with the more contagious Delta variant driving outbreaks and a quarter of the country now living in a county with high COVID transmission, the White House urging the unvaccinated to protect themselves. The threat is now predominantly only to the unvaccinated. Louisiana reporting the most new infections per capita, with Arkansas, Missouri and Florida not far behind. New Orleans recommending masks indoors for everyone to try to slow the spread. We know that masking works. We've seen this movie over and over again. And in California, Los Angeles County reporting a 20-fold increase in new COVID cases since last month. Austin, Texas public health officials now urging people in the community to wear masks indoors, too. While Atlanta public schools, where just 18 percent of eligible students are fully vaccinated, will require masks for all students and school staff. And as the virus strikes more and more unvaccinated young people. We do know that in our ICUs, we are seeing younger people intubated who are very sick or who are on the floors and are very sick. That should be a gigantic wake up call. 
And a local leader in Harris County, Texas, which includes Houston, is now asking the public to wear masks again. Harris County Judge Lena Hidalgo says the region is at the beginning of a potentially very dangerous fourth wave of the pandemic. Hidalgo said the COVID-19 test positivity rate is doubling roughly every two weeks. And if the county doesn't act now, it will be too late. Pamela? That is not a good trend. Athena Jones, thanks so much for bringing us the latest. Well, when asked repeatedly today about the possibility of new mask guidance, even for those fully vaccinated, the response from the White House leaves that option open. Take a listen. That's not the advice of the CDC at this point in time, so that is not a message we are conveying to people. But they didn't rule it out. This, as the Biden administration is getting pushback on even the talk of masks required for children in schools. CNN's Caitlin Collins has more from the White House. The Biden administration is weighing next steps as the Delta variant causes a spike in coronavirus infections nationwide. There has been no decision to uh, change our mask guidelines. The president's top aides and federal health officials are considering whether they should change those guidelines or shift public messaging on mask wearing for the fully vaccinated. We've never said that battle is over. It's still ongoing. It would be more concerning or should be more concerning to all of you and the American people if we were not having those conversations. Ultimately, any change to the guidance would come from the CDC. Today, Director Rochelle Walensky stood by the current guidelines, which say fully vaccinated people don't need to wear a mask. Is the CDC considering right now changing its mask guidance for people who are fully vaccinated? Um, <laughs> We are always looking at the data as the data come in. Our, mat, our guidance has been clear since, since we put it out several months ago. The agency under pressure to respond as the Delta variant is driving new outbreaks among the unvaccinated. New cases, hospitalizations and deaths are at a fraction of what they were before the vaccines, but are still raising concerns. The Delta variant is more aggressive and much more transmissible than previously circulating strains. During a town hall with CNN in Cincinnati, President Biden pleaded with the unvaccinated half of the country to get vaccinated. We have a pandemic for those who haven't gotten a vaccination. It's that basic, that simple. But children who are under 12 still can't get the vaccine. When will children under 12 be able to get vaccinated soon, I believe. Until then, Biden predicting there will be new guidance for school children. The CDC is going to say that what we should do is everyone over the age of under the age of 12 should probably be wearing a mask in school. Those comments already prompting pushback from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, there's been talk about potentially people advocating at the federal level imposing compulsory mask on kids. Uh, We're not doing that in Florida, okay? Last night, the president also predicted the FDA will grant full approval for COVID-19 vaccines by this fall, though his predictions came with this caveat. I do not tell any scientists what they should do. I do not interfere. I mean, literally, listen to the scientists. And not interfere, not rush anything. 
and pay them while the scientists do their work. The White House is also sending $100 million to rural health clinics in the U.S. to help with vaccine outreach and education, given those have been areas where generally their vaccination rates have been lower than others. The president's coronavirus advisor, Jeff Zients, also said today that they are potentially seeing a promising trend, which is in those areas where you are seeing the Delta variant surging, case rates are going up. He says they are seeing a new uptick in vaccination. So hopefully, potentially, this variant is driving people who have not yet gotten vaccinated to get vaccinated. Absolutely. And as we know, it still takes a few weeks, even after that first shot, to be fully vaccinated. Caitlin Collins, thanks for bringing us the latest there from the Winehouse. Joining me now to discuss is William Hazeltine. He is a former professor at Harvard Medical School and the author of A Family Guide to COVID. Nice to see you. So there you heard it. CDC Director Walensky saying for now, the guidance remains that vaccinated people do not need to wear masks. Do you think that should change with how quickly the Delta variant is spreading? I do. I think it should change right away. This is a very, very dangerous variant. It is much more infectious than the previous variants. Masks can help, even for the vaccinated. Although it's very unlikely you'll get seriously ill if infected after you've been vaccinated, there are many cases now of people being infected, although they don't fall seriously ill. But if you are infected, you can potentially transmit that virus to others. So. Not only don't you know who's vaccinated and who's not, but it makes sense for everyone who's vaccinated to wear masks in public spaces. So on that, not just any right, N95, the N95 masks. That's such an important point. To your point about transmitting, you know, we're learning about these cases of vaccinated people, parents giving the virus to their kids who aren't yet eligible to be vaccinated. What does the science say now about how likely it is to transmit the virus to others if you are vaccinated? You know, we don't know the full answer to that. But if you are infected, you are shedding some virus and you have a possibility of transmitting it. This virus isn't like the virus we had before. You produce, if you're not vaccinated, a thousand times more virus in your airways. You produce it faster and you get sicker and younger people get sicker. So this is not your COVID of, ni- of uh, 2019. COVID-21 is a much more dangerous creature. So just to be blunt here, I mean, how much are the unvaccinated people who were choosing not to get vaccinated now, even though they're eligible, screwing everything up for the vaccinated? You know, it's I, everybody has their own choice. But if I had my brothers, I would rather see governments say, if it's okay, you don't want to be vaccinated, but then you can't go to the movie theater. You can't go to restaurants. You can't take public transportation. That's what they're doing in France right now. It isn't that there's not pushback there, but that is a reasonable suggestion. Yeah, you're free to get infected and die yourself, but you're not free to infect other people. Today, we learned that 31 kids under the age of 12 have tested positive for COVID at a sleepaway camp in New York. Is this a warning sign for what could happen when kids return to school? Well, you know, this is not the first case. First of all, the answer is yes, it is a warning sign. Second thing to say is this is not the first case. There have been cases of religious camps, for example, in Texas, where very large numbers of people got infected and many people got very seriously ill. I want people to understand that infection with the Delta virus is much more life-threatening for themselves and for their children, regardless of your age, than infection before. 
You've got to change your frame of reference. This is a much more dangerous virus, not just more transmissible, which it is, but it's more dangerous once you catch it. Once again, masks are becoming a political football when it comes to kids in schools. What is your advice to parents sending their kids back to school, particularly in states that ban mask mandates? Uh, you know, you can't tell a parent what to do. And if a school doesn't want to put in the mask, a parent's in a really tight bind. I really feel for those parents who want to protect their children. Yet a governor of a state says you can't do that if you want to. We're not going to have mass in our schools, say some governors. Well, that is equivalent to saying we would like your children to get infected. It's a very poor move. All right, William Hazeltine, thanks so much. You're welcome. Today, one nurse is now warning people not to be like her and to get a vaccine before you get a ventilator instead. That cautionary tale up next. Plus, dangerous dodge. Why are so many Republicans mocking questions about their vaccine status? We are back with our health lead. More and more hospitals are requiring employees to get the COVID vaccine as the number of cases skyrocket. In fact, this week, Florida, Texas and Missouri account for 40 percent of all cases nationwide. In Missouri, more than 90 percent of those cases are unvaccinated people. Now, one nurse there is telling CNN's Miguel Marquez she wants everyone to get the vaccine after she didn't and was put on a ventilator. Healthcare workers suiting up. Sickness from COVID-19 among the unvaccinated will not stop. The doctor told me twice yesterday that I should not be alive. Neither Christy Henry nor her family got vaccinated. From rural Houston, Missouri, they figured they were safe. Henry rarely went out, wore a mask, and didn't see a lot of people. I've taken care of people, you know, for 20-plus years, but never been on the receiving end. Henry, 56 years old, was a nurse and now teaches nursing. She has a husband and six kids. She had to go on a ventilator. So did her husband. It got so bad, she wasn't sure she'd see her family again. So it's very real. I was so sick. He said you should not be alive. And she's lucky. The more contagious Delta variant continuing to grip Missouri, where only about 40% of its residents are fully vaccinated. Cases rising nearly 18% over the last two weeks. Hospitalizations and ICU admissions both up sharply since May. I think this variant is just more severe than what we were experiencing previously. Unvaccinated patients account for more than 97% of hospitalizations nationwide, says the CDC director. You do not plan to get the vaccine, correct? Correct. Susan Dean, now retired, worked in healthcare for 25 years. Should vaccines be mandatory for at least healthcare workers? I don't think we know enough about the vaccine to say this is what it does. It's a growing issue. The Mercy Hospital Network, including here in Springfield, has now mandated vaccine for all employees. Some healthcare workers here now organizing to reverse Mercy's decision. Dean says it should be a personal choice. Anybody who is forced to take something or lose their job is, I, I, I think that just makes me so sick. We've already suffered so much. 
Mercy Hospital says the public health implications and dangers of the virus far outweigh any concerns about the vaccine. We've got a narrow window to basically sustain or even get ahead uh, of where we are right now. Uh, As of this morning, we've got 172 people hospitalized, which is um, our all-time peak. Kate Giacci is an ICU nurse in Columbia, Missouri. After a hellishly difficult year, just when she thought there was light at the end of the tunnel. We are mentally and emotionally and physically worn out. For Christy Henry, the message now clear. Everybody I know and I love that, you know, you need to get vaccinated. Now, here is the situation in Springfield, Missouri. The hospitals are filling with patients to record numbers. Hospitals across the state are no longer able to take in patients from other areas. If you thought you were safe from the Delta variant because you were safe in the past, whether you live in a city or a rural area, you are not, say experts, get vaccinated. Pamela? Right, and it's worth repeating, 97% of the patients in hospitals with COVID are unvaccinated. Miguel Marquez, thanks so much. And now let's go over to the South. No other state added more COVID cases in a single week than Florida. CNN's Layla Santiago is live in Miami. Layla, many hospitals are now forced to deal with this fallout. Yeah, Pamela, I spoke to one doctor who told me if if policymakers don't start doubling down on vaccination, quit with the misinformation, on social media, uh, this is a system, a health system that will break down soon in the state of Florida. So let's take a look at the numbers. You know, if you look at a map to, to kind of look at the hot spots, you're going to see a lot of red over the entire panhandle, as well as where we are right now in South Florida. I am at the Jackson Health System, where, by the way, they upped the COVID-19 threat level to high this week because of the influx of patients. One doctor told me that this new influx of COVID-19 patients is a warning sign. What this is telling me is in the next two to four weeks, we forecast that the cases will continue to go up. And I really urge everyone listening to you to please go and get vaccinated. A lot of people only got one dose of the mRNA vaccines. You need two doses to be fully protected from severe disease. Here, when you talk about the COVID-19 patients in this health system, 90% are unvaccinated. 95% of those in the ICU are unvaccinated. And I got to tell you, we, we have spoken to nurses, to doctors, to patients, all of them urging people to get vaccinated. And there is a strong sense of frustration among healthcare workers because they feel it's like, here we go again. Except this time, we have the PPE. We have the vaccines. We just need more people, they say, to get vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, their frustration is palpable and understandable. Layla Santiago, thanks so much. Speaker Pelosi now could be planning to pick more Republicans who aren't in the tank for Trump for the January 6th committee. That's next. In our politics lead, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is lashing out at Speaker Nancy Pelosi for rejecting some of his picks for the January 6th committee. We predicted it back at the very beginning. This is a sham committee that's just politically driven by Speaker Pelosi. Well, Pelosi says she won't let Republicans, quote, antics get in the way of the investigation. 
Two sources tell CNN the speaker is now considering Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger for the committee. Kinzinger, of course, was one of the 10 House Republicans who voted for former President Trump's second impeachment. He's also been very outspoken against Trump. So let's discuss all of this. We have a panel full of ladies today. And and I want to start with you um, because you have Pelosi out there saying this group is beyond partisan. We just heard Kevin McCarthy saying this is partisan. What do you think? Does a happy medium exist or are we just beyond that at this point? Look, uh, Kevin McCarthy wants it to be partisan. He wants it to be he wants to be able to say that it's not legitimate and to be able to question the integrity of the results. And what it is is shameful. It is shameful that an event we all saw on TV that has scarred so many of us, that scared so many of us, is being used uh, as a political wedge by Kevin McCarthy. I mean, what he did was so deliberate and so devious and so orchestrated, right? He put in these two Jims in there, Jim Jordan and, uh, you know, Jim, uh, to, to, as poison pills, as poison pills, knowing that this would be the only uh, rational reaction that Nancy Pelosi could have. So I do hope that Nancy Pelosi um, appoints more Republicans. There are some Republicans that can be legitimate brokers and do their work uh, on this committee. Adam Kissinger is one of them. Mm-hmm. Certainly Jamie Herrera Butler, mm-hmm. who spoke up about the truth and was, uh, was unbending about it, would be another great appointment, though I suspect she'll also be a witness. She spoke out about the phone call mm-hmm. between um, Trump and McCarthy. So, Linda, what do you make of, of Kinzinger on this committee? Will that be enough for Republicans? Well, first of all, there are some people, about probably a third of the country, that is never going to believe anything that comes out of any commission, no matter how many Republicans are on it. Uh, the point of the commission is to get at the truth, but also to figure out what mistakes were made and how we can prevent this from happening again. I happen to believe that there is something to look into about the security uh, at the Capitol. Some of that was President Trump's fault. He's the person who had control of the National Guard. But uh, I actually have extended family members who were Capitol Hill police officers, and I don't think they were prepared. I don't think they had any idea what was coming. So there are legitimate questions. They need to be answered. It shouldn't be partisan. This is about finding the truth. Right. I mean, they were all impacted by this in their workplace. And of course, it becomes this partisan bashing fest. Uh, And then you have Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney saying that Kensinger would be a tremendous addition to the panel. The Conservative Club for Growth is out with a new ad, though, attacking Cheney. Let's listen to that. She benefited from a famous political last name. She sided with Nancy Pelosi and attacked President Trump when he was in office. She supported impeachment, and she continues to attack President Trump today. Hillary Clinton? No. Liz Cheney. Comparing her to Hillary Clinton is really a... (laughs) Right. Pulling her. I mean, that's the question, right? Like, what's more toxic for Liz Cheney among her constituents, being tied to Pelosi and the Clintons or being anti-Trump? I mean, being anti-Trump in Wyoming is is not the greatest thing in the world, certainly. And what the Republicans that might end up on this committee have to weigh is their political future and whether they care or not. Liz Cheney clearly has put principle over, you know, potentially her reelection chances. Um, but, you know, going back to Kevin McCarthy, in some ways, just speaking purely politically, what else could he do other than, you know, have the then vote for the January 6th commission that would have been 
uh, nonpartisan and outside of the Congress and have people who weren't currently in office um, with equal representation from picked by both sides. That That's what they rejected initially. And mm-hmm. Pelosi capitulated on several different points that McCarthy had complained about. Aside from that, what else could he do but make this political? Because otherwise it would force some of his colleagues to own up to some of the role they played in what happened on January 6th. And they certainly don't want to do that, particularly stretching it out as this investigation goes closer and closer to the midterms and having to look themselves in the mirror. Yeah, they God don't forbid. want that. Exactly. And and it was interesting watching that press conference yesterday with McCarthy and other Republicans. They wanted to make it all about Pelosi and the security failures. It is true that the security failures should certainly be looked at. But, you know, there's a lot more to this story than what happened there. And from what we know, um, Pelosi did not have a huge role in that. I think uh, the challenge, though, I was going to say for, for Democrats, you know, Pelosi, but, but Democrats writ large, really, at this point, is that with the conversation and the narrative that Republicans are arguing, that this is a partisan uh, commission at this point, you know, that, that whatever findings now Democrats do find, and I will say Democrats because it's being led by Democrats, it'll be hard for them to argue that it is not a partisan finding, right? Because Republicans and the language that we're hearing from Republicans is that this is a partisan, uh, you know, kind of, um, I don't want to say witch hunt, but that is largely the, the language and the trajectory that we're hearing from them. So how do Democrats defend whatever findings they come come to with this? How, how are they able to actually present to the American public that this is the, the, quote, truth? Because I would argue at this point in time, you know, facts are not really agreed upon. You yeah. can argue that many there's of us saw realities. these things happen, but there is a You know, that can't be an obstacle, though, to... To them going full bore and putting and getting totally invested into this committee uh, succeeding because it's not going to be about changing the minds of that one third of the uh, American people you talked about. It's really about history. It's really mm-hmm. that what we owe to the Capitol Police. It's really about truth. It's really about making sure that the history books get it right and that whatever measures need to be taken in order to protect the people who work in that building uh, for centuries to come, hopefully, are taken and taken very seriously. So regardless of, of, of this, of what we're talking about, you know, dissecting the partisanship of it, it's got to go on. It's got to go on. And you mentioned this sort of alternate reality where there's not the shared reality. We're seeing that also play out, Linda, with the vaccines and how some of these GOP lawmakers have tried to fuel skepticism. In fact, our, our uh, Capitol Hill team reports nearly half of House Republicans won't share their vaccination status. Uh, Chip Roy saying it's nobody's, quote, damn business. Well, and there's a reason for that. I think a good many of them probably got vaccinated because they don't want to die. But they are scared to death that once, you know, the base at home, the QAnon people, the anti-vaxxers get wind of that, they will be basically uh, driven from the party. I mean, I look at somebody like Tucker Carlson. I would bet every penny in my retirement account that Tucker Carlson has been vaccinated, no matter how much he gets on television and spews this anti-vaccine stuff. These are not dumb people. They know the vaccine works. They know that they want to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're scared to death uh, of speaking the truth. Well, but the, the reason they're scared to death, though, is because they created this monster. Yes. And let's be, you know, it's not just Fox News. It's not just people saying stupid stuff on TV over and over every night. It's also uh, the politicization of masks. It is the selling of campaign swag. 
picking on uh, Fauci. It is the demonizing of Fauci. It is Congress people refusing to admit that they got the vaccine and even um, refusing to follow the mandate that Nancy Pelosi uh, put in place. It is prohibiting private businesses like cruise lines from demanding proof of vaccination. All of those things have been done by Republicans. And so the reason now that it's hard for them to put the genie back in the bottle is because of the environment they created. And we are all being held hostage as a result. Well, and you heard Fauci say, look, um, if this was going on back when the polio vaccine was available, then we would probably still have polio, right? I mean, that's, that's a reality. So much has changed. All right, thank you so much, ladies. Great conversation. Well, Chicago is suffering through its third mass shooting in a six-hour span. Will a new program help the city battle with gun violence? International lead, at least eight people were shot just before midnight last night in Chicago's Old Town neighborhood. This is the third mass shooting for the city in a six-hour span. And now federal officials are unveiling a new strategy to combat this violence and as CNN's Omar Jimenez shows us, they're teaming up with local officials like Chicago's Mayor Lori Lightfoot. We've got to build these anchors and infrastructure in the communities. I want to restore um, retail space. I want to create more green spaces uh, for uh, folks to gather. On Chicago's west side, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is trying to fight violence with investment. From things as simple as planting trees to constructing a community plaza, and roller rink. Looking at the challenges that our city has faced, this is an opportunity, really a generational opportunity, to make a long-lasting difference so the next generation of kids that are growing up in this community have a very different trajectory. Lightfoot was elected in 2019 as the city's first black woman and openly gay mayor. Two-plus years into the job, a pandemic and the record jump in violence that came with it have complicated her vision for a better Chicago. Some have even questioned how she's handled that stress, especially after a June confrontation with a local alderwoman as a city council meeting recessed. And in an email obtained by the Chicago Tribune, she wrote to a scheduler in January, I need office time every day. I need office time every day, repeating the phrase 16 times in a row, sent during scheduled office time. A source within City Hall told me, this is who she is. Is that true? Well, I don't know what that means. This is who she is. Am I demanding boss? Yes, I am. Um, But I'm demanding on behalf of the residents of our city. She made a different demand as she hit her two-year mark as mayor in May. Writing for the day, she would be exclusively providing one-on-one interviews with journalists of color, setting off a firestorm of criticism, including that she was discriminating and doesn't get to choose who covers her. In a city that is two-thirds people of color, that we don't have journalists of color that are covering the black mayor of the third largest city in the country is an outrage. I'm not going to worry about um, making friends um, in the media or accepting the status quo because I don't want the blowback. No, I got elected to shake things up. All of it happening under a cloud of increased violence from 2020 spilling over into 2021. Despite some improvements, murder is still up 48 percent compared to pre-pandemic levels, with shootings up more than 60, according to data from the Chicago Police Department. If people don't feel safe, literally nothing else matters. I know that. I own responsibility for that. Along with every other stakeholder in our city, we've got to be united and move forward together to address these issues. That includes at the federal level. 
After clashing with the previous administration, she's more optimistic about working with the current one. And you've asked President Biden for help. So what exactly have you asked for? What, what do you need? We need uh, gun trafficking, multi-jurisdictional strike forces to disrupt the flow of illegal guns that are coming into our city. It's part of a multi-tiered approach Lightfoot needs as mayor to help Chicago turn a corner when it comes to violence and more. But at the neighborhood level, she hopes her investments leave an impact well beyond her time in office. It's not the critics who count. There has been and there will continue to be skepticism like, is this real? Are you just doing this for the cameras? No, it's real. And we're going to continue to be here, rain or shine, because I know that if we can change the fortunes of this neighborhood, we can do it anywhere in the city. We will move as fast as the trust builds. Now, on the violence front, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland just arrived here in Chicago to launch federal anti-gun trafficking strike forces. The very kind Mayor Lightfoot says she asked President Biden for to go beyond those just pulling the trigger and get to the sources that are putting the guns in their hands in the first place. All right. Omar Jimenez, thank you so much for that. Former President Trump spewing more incoherent lies about the assault on the Capitol. The interview you won't be able to unhear next. In our politics lead, detached from reality. That's how President Trump sounds in an interview that he did about the deadly January 6th insurrection. There was a loving crowd, too, by the way. There was a lot of love. I've heard that from everybody. Many, many people have told me that was a loving crowd. They were ushered in by the police. I mean, in all fairness, the Capitol Police were ushering people in. So clearly Trump was wrong about that, and that was just part of his disjointed and incoherent ramblings. The interview was for the new book, I Alone Can Fix It, Donald J. Trump's Catastrophic Final Year, by Washington Post journalists Philip Rucker and Carol Linnig. Carol, congratulations on the book. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, So we learn a lot in this book, and, and we learn about what was happening around the insurrection. And Aid said that Trump thought the insurrection was, quote, cool. You write that when aides finally convinced Trump to do a video message calling out the rioters, it took them three times to make it seem sincere. Why didn't and why doesn't Trump still not grasp the severity of that day? I'm so glad, Pam, that you go right to the day of the event because and, and inside the Oval, where Trump is watching TV in his dining room, you know, just off the, the, that part of the West Wing. And people inside front row witnesses to this moment in history, basically described the president as MIA. He's kind of a little giddy as he sees his protesters, his supporters, his the people he just spoke to at the Ellipse start charging up the Capitol Hill. And remember, when they break through barricades and start going up the inauguration platform, they're breaking the law, and he's pretty happy. Mm-hmm. It's only when shots are fired and there's violence and reports of that, that he essentially says the version of, oh, crap. Um, But it takes his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and his daughter, Ivanka Trump, multiple visits and attempts to get him to basically call off the dogs because he is not saying anything. He's sort of wondering what he should say and how he should say it. He wants to praise his base. That part of him just is so reflexive. Right. And, and even calling off the dogs, I mean, he barely did it initially. Right. I mean, 
Um, and I remember talking to sources in the White House at the time who were ardent Trump supporters who really, after seeing how he responded to that, it was a turning point for them. And that's a whole nother story. But you spent two and a half hours uh, with the president at Mar-a-Lago. You interviewed 140 sources. Take us into the psyche of Donald Trump and his influence even now in GOP politics, particularly on the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy. We just saw what he did uh, pulling his picks from the January 6th committee. How is Trump pulling the strings behind the scenes? So keep in mind that right after the election, President Trump seemed to believe that he may have lost. What we learned is the night after, he said to Kellyanne Conway, how could we lose? I'm so bummed we lost. So, but in the meantime, his inner narrative has gotten harder and harder and less and less related to reality. Less, it's, it's unmoored. Um, and he, in Mar-a-Lago, when we visited, a ton of people traipsed by to sort of kiss his ring, mm-hmm. and more were coming, Congress members trying to get his endorsement. And as he said to us, you know, if they don't come, if they don't get the endorsement, they don't win. And he views himself very much as a successful kingmaker and the standard bearer for the Republican Party. He likes Kevin McCarthy. He detests Mitch McConnell. I mean, he likes Kevin McCarthy for now because Kevin McCarthy is kissing the ring. Um, I want to go to this thought that the book opens up with, just to go big picture after what you just laid out there, Carol. It says, the year 2020 tested the republic, yet the institutions designed by the founding fathers were still standing by the time Trump left office. America's democracy withstood the unrelenting assault of its president. Why do you credit, uh, who do you credit, I should say, most with keeping democracy afloat? It's two things at once, Pam. It's the fact that a a ton of people who supported Donald Trump, worked for him, uh, ultimately believed his impulses were super dangerous and tried to be a bulwark against what he was trying to do. The other part is Donald Trump wasn't that organized and effective. If somebody was better at this, at being an autocrat, at being a democracy splinterer, they might have been more effective, but he wasn't. And that is pretty frightening. All right. Thank you so much, Carrie Linnick, co-author of I Alone Can Fix It. Thank you. Well, who needs the Olympic torch when you have a dumpster fire? The chaos surrounding the Games with just hours until the opening ceremony. In our sports lead, the event that usually stands as a beacon of world unity in absolute chaos. Tomorrow, the opening ceremony of the 2020 uh, Tokyo Olympics will be overshadowed by the ceremony director getting fired for past anti-Semitic comments, skyrocketing COVID cases in Tokyo, and at least 20 athletes who have had their life work dashed because of positive COVID tests. Despite all that, the two-week-long Olympics will go on. And our coverage continues now with Jim Acosta in the Situation Room. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 